0: Greetings, loved ones. Welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Curry House, the British bi-weekly show giving you a healthy dose of kaiju action. This is episode 95. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Paul and Joe, and tonight we have a special guest, Mr. Pierce Berelsheimer. Is that that name right? Yep. Awesome. And you are the director, producer, and writer for the 2021 film Crabs. How's it oh, going? It
1: has an explanation for it. Krabs! Come on, Alex. <laughs> Go for
0: it. Crabs! There we go. That's better. There we That's go. Where you um, Paul, what have
2: Kaiju been up to? Oh, uh, John, you know I I haven't been up to a massive amount, I'm afraid. Because, you know, we've had a bank holiday weekend, have been away stuff. But I have been playing Dawn of the Monsters.
0: Yes, how's so it going? I,
2: so I finally yeah. got on with that. Um, I've only done, like, the first part, but I've really enjoyed it so far. I haven't gone quite in depth of... Mm-hmm. how to upgrade my kaiju but i've enjoyed smashing buildings ripping off yeah. heads and just generally beating up monsters it's yeah because each level is only about 10 minutes long so it's just yeah. a nice little de-stress at the end Great of the pick up game isn't it it is yeah pick up and play yeah. yeah so yeah really enjoyed all the monsters but i'm hoping to get a bit more in depth of it as time goes mm-hmm. on but other than that i haven't really read watched or, or you know done anything so um brief from me um, Joe, what have kaiju been up to?
1: Right, absolutely not related to kaiju whatsoever, but definitely a force of nature. Um, I watched some episodes of Captain Planet over hey, the uh, weekend, hey. which is great. I did see some of the leaks for the new Avatar movie that's coming out in December, mm. which I thought was really cool. It has some great alien creatures in it. So I was really happy to see that. I saw the second long-length trailer for Jurassic World come out. And once again, it has totally derailed my taste for uh, that film. It's spectacular special effects, but raptors that will jump underneath ice and start swimming after people, I thought that that was a bit far-fetched. So it kind of took my breath away in a bad way. what else not to seem like a hater i'm I'm still probably gonna see it um and you still love it you'll love it i am excited for apple tv's planet dinosaur narrated by sir david attenborough which is going to be perfect um so i look forward to that and i took out my copy of howl from beyond the fog from srs cinema over the weekend and just had a quick watch of that because it had been a while. So that is what I have been up to in the world of large, dangerous, scaly things and awesome forces of nature. I also watch crabs. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> Colts. there's some there's some kaiju action
3: going on there. Shouldn't forget that. So, Pierce, what have kaiju been up to? um working on finishing up crabs and trying to get out in the world uh but also playing a bunch of elden ring which i don't know if that technically counts as kaiju but there are some
2: there's some creatures in that yeah Yeah, gnarly monsters solid
3: monsters in that we'll allow that Uh, and it's i'm terrible at it but it's uh it's no no it's not
2: you it's the game the game is just brutal
3: (laughs) it's really brutal yeah but it's fun it's uh the monster designs are just awesome i mean they're just so cool looking um but i run away from most of them do we have a (laughs) shout out for any
1: particular one that's like more gnarly than the others
3: you know i have so little time to actually play games that like elden ring i'm i'm the type of person that doesn't pay attention to any of the lore or any of the names of the monsters or anything like that i just run in and try to fight (laughs) so i don't don't know there's a fan base
1: somewhere screaming
3: (laughs) oh i know i know there's like a hashtag it's like um no lore only murder and that that's follows what I how I play Elden Ring pretty pretty solidly oh, okay
2: because they've got on that um George R R Martin haven't they writing doing the writing for it so the...
3: yeah but I don't know I don't see his fingerprints anywhere it no? just seems okay. like Dark Souls the new Dark Souls so I don't I don't know can I make a quick comment here wasn't he supposed to
0: be finishing the book
3: yeah apparently I heard like, that is is it, is Ru-
0: it the, rumor it, has it isn't it that the I, winds of winter I I feel like after the final season of the TV show, it's amazing how it went from being a global phenomenon to suddenly no one cared. (laughs) It just kind of gone.
1: Well, I feel like, okay, so there are two ways of looking at this. Either Mm. nobody cared or all the questions were answered. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the burn and the anxiety and the passion of waiting for your answers for like 8 years was it
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: they get answered all at once i feel well, like Martin. i feel like it's just the catharsis
0: mm, maybe uh, all i know is that like every so often I'll get your memories on Facebook and I'll go, Oh, what's this? And I'll think it's like a lovely family photo. It's a flaming game of Thrones meme. And it's like, (laughs) "Ah, I remember that. Wow. That that's not relevant. That's dead now because it was so kind of quintessentially of that time period and then gone. So it's no longer relevant to me. Um, in my opinion, what was your favorite scene in game of Thrones? Piers.
3: Oh, me. Oh, um, you're the man who cares right now. Mm, my favorite scene in game of thrones um huh uh the trial Tyrion's trial i think i think i think the acting in Tyrion's trial was
1: oh yeah he totally deserved that award he blew it away that was was amazing oh Oh, i'm I'm gonna go with
3: joffrey's death was pretty cool um (laughs) that was that was a catharsis for everybody that was that was pretty brutal i liked how brutal that was
0: (laughs) i feel like in terms of a segue for Krabs, Oberon's death when like his face just sort of like splattered everywhere. Yeah. Oh, that they... got
1: me. Oberon was my favorite
3: character. It was
0: everyone's favorite? Yeah. Because read the
3: books. Did you know it was coming?
0: Um, I, I I did not. No, I'm still recovering off it.
3: I, I
1: I read the books post series. Oh, okay. And the books are so much better. But like Oberon's death, still like I remember watching that and I was just. No, He I was the man. cool one.
0: <laughs> he, yeah, he was the cool one. Like everyone fancied him, and that's yeah. why Mandalorian did so well because they got a chance to watch you know Oberon again. It was glorious. Um, Pierce, you are the director, writer, and producer of Crabs from 2021. And many of our listeners have probably watched the trailer. However, they might not know much about it. What is Crabs?
3: Yeah, so Crabs um, is a monster movie that is sort of my, uh, you know, my love letter to all the different monster movies. There's, yeah, you know, I grew up with Gremlins, but I also grew up with Alien, and I also grew up with Godzilla. And so I wanted to make a movie that took all the sort of genre staples of monster movies and put them into one thing. So I, I wanted to have all the different sizes of monster and sort of have a movie that, went through the history of monster movies with each act, so each act is sort of a different style of monster movie um, and yeah, it, it's technically a 2021 movie because we premiered in the UK in 2021 uh, at a festival but um, the only place it's out right now is Australia and France, so it's going to be released in 2022 even if it's technically 2021. It's a brand new movie really. Yeah
0: Fantastic, and um like you've spoken about your inspiration for the film, talking about, you know, Alien, you mentioned Gremlins. What is the general premise of Crabs? like in a yeah. nutshell?
3: Um, the basic idea is uh, this kid, Philip McAllister, um, is in a wheelchair and he wants to dance with his friend slash girlfriend at prom. And so he uses this ridiculous made up scientific technology to try to build these mechanical legs so he can dance at prom all the while these mutated horseshoe crabs attack the town and then it's up to this weird eclectic group of locals uh to try to save the day how do we pronounce
1: our foreign friend's name radu radu okay i just wanted to make sure you know like i got that completely right because i loved him he was my favorite heads (laughs) down (laughs) Heads
3: down. <laughs> he's great. Chase is amazing. That the actor that plays Radu is he's Oh, he's so going good.
1: places, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Loved Radu. Yeah. So we actually uh had a question we had a write-in on my side, Emily. Emily asked, How come it's always the ugly like creatures that get monster movies? How come you know you went for horseshoe crabs, so to speak, rather than squirrels, which are terrifying. They can mop you. They throw acorns. They're already hostile. So why do at, why do you why do we why do we zero on in on horseshoe crabs? versus the passion?
3: That is a great question. And and one of the things that I looked at for inspiration was uh, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail scene with the rabbit. The rabbit. Because to me, amazing animals. Um, animals that aren't dangerous are far more interesting to make into dangerous movies than uh animals that are inherently dangerous like i love i love the idea like squirrels squirrels would be a great horror movie um horseshoe crabs to me are like they're super slow they're totally harmless and they but they the weird ironic thing is that they look scary as hell like they look creepy they're all yeah. ernie weaver
1: doesn't like crabs or horseshoe crabs that's for sure yeah right
3: (laughs) yeah you turn one over it looks like
1: the thing paul has behind him (laughs)
3: yeah It does. It, they look. They look terrifying. They. They really. They look. They look really creepy. But I love the idea that they're actually. To, they're completely totally harmless. And so turning something that looked creepy already into something that was terrifying. Uh, I like the sort of the. A. It was easy to do because we basically just used the horseshoe crab shell as the template and then added some extra spines to it. So we knew we would have something that was inherently a little creepy to begin with um and that sort of did our job for us in the in the first act um but i also grew up going down to georgia in the u.s and seeing the they they molt so they leave their shells all over the beach and i figured oh you know somebody's going to do a movie about this like they're they're creepy looking somebody's eventually going to use this animal in a monster movie but nobody did and so it felt like this sort of it's sitting right there and it's on a golden platter i've got to use it um totally yeah.
1: so the, the the special effects for crabs like are any of those the molted shells because whoever made the actual crabs for your production like they did a bang up job it was amazing so the, the ray harry used a crab for mm-hmm. uh one of his films he just put an armature inside so Did you use a similar concept? Did you take a molted shell and use those, or was that something somebody made? Oh wow! Okay, so
3: we took uh, we we had one uh, sent to us from Georgia because they're not. We shot the movie in California, and there's there's no horseshoe crabs in California on the west coast of the U.S. Mm -hmm. So we had one sent, and um, we took the shell and then added some clay to it just to give it a little bit extra creepy factor. So we gave it some extra spines and made the ridges a little bit more like ridgy instead of as flat as it is um just to give it a little bit more personality um and then we we had a bunch of different types of like uh, a bunch of different types of horseshoe crabs so we did the the ones that are just the shell we molded on an actual shell and then uh we made ones that you could put a remote control car in and then we made ones that you could fill with blood and smash uh we made a couple that like, you could attach to somebody's face that had blood wires coming out of the back, so you could shoot blood out of the sides mm-hmm. of it. Um, but all of those are actually based on the original shell with some clay added, and then they were all a bunch of molds made from that. Um, but yeah, we tried to keep it as biologically accurate as we could uh, without just using the shell itself. Which is and why the shell I think so good. good. Sorry. I mean, I mean, yeah, the shells I mean they look great. I mean they're they're weird enough looking already that we didn't have to do much. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: I was going to say great job. I mean like all the painting and everything that went into those as as someone who does models himself, I got to say like all the practical effects they were well done. They were they were fantastic.
3: Thank you. Yeah, that was uh Jim Ojala was our creature effects guy and he's he's amazing. He used to work on like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's done stuff for years and years and years he started doing trauma movies um yeah he's awesome
1: Buffy that's awesome
3: yeah that was wow. wild I uh my my girlfriend's favorite show is Buffy and i had never seen Buffy I'd seen like the movie but I'd never seen the show and so when we got together um we watched all of Buffy together and she's probably seen it five or six times now like from beginning to end and I, when I found out that Jim had worked on Buffy, I like called him up a couple Christmases ago and I'm like, hey, Jim, do you have any props that you've kept? And he did. And he had the only prop he had from his time working on Buffy was a pair of vampire teeth. Anyway, so I bought him from- As it. you he would, as because, you would. Yeah. On <laughs> well, like with like a b- official Buffy stationery, And so while we were watching the show, we were like trying to point out where the teeth were uh, in the show. <laughs>
1: That's nice. I was gonna say someone who's very close to my heart uh, loved angel and i was i was mm-hmm. made to watch angel
0: but and i never watched angel buffy too.
1: i never watched buffy so angel was just <laughs> like so what's going on now,
3: <laughs> now i haven't oh, seen angel yet but
1: yeah it's a trip especially if you don't know any of the lore
3: <laughs> i can imagine that's pretty be weird
1: so we have we have the crabs. So a bit of spoilers for folks that are listening, but I feel like in order to progress the discussion, we kind of have to reveal something.
3: I think so. Yeah.
1: So the crabs, they're exposed to we'll just call it nuclear waste to keep it's things. Science. science. Yeah, science. those okay. the <laughs> scientists have been irresponsible again, ladies and gentlemen. And this time it's the horseshoe crabs that have paid the price. So there's uh, a couple who is, are enjoying each other's company this is not a children's film um so children do not watch it parents don't let your parent your kids watch it while <laughs> while you're hugging yeah hugging. yeah hugging They're um
2: holding. she really enjoyed that hug
1: yeah we were we were um we were texting as we were all watching it uh Pierce. Yeah. it was really funny so i found as that first scene was coming on i found a george talkie like oh my, but I sent everybody, and then the crab starts attacking. So I just went to, oh no! (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so the crab starts attacking, and we've learned, you know, like the horseshoe crabs are not gentle creatures anymore. So the the movie progresses from there. Um, There's a bit of uh, um, plot uh, building with the characters, the town, we go and see them. We have the police officers who are kind of investigating some killings um there's a dead whale i li- the dead whale was a very uh nice piece by the way that was a good set piece and it was very clever how you use the different perspective coming out from within mm-hmm. its ribs to see the to frame the police officers that was really cool mm-hmm. so we've learned that something's been killing marine life and it just kind of progresses from there to when the crabs start moving inward towards town and we kind of have our dance scene like you mentioned before and i think that that isn't necessarily the climax of the film but it it is it is like a good midpoint where we have
0: carnage carnage is the word it's end of act 2 isn't it because it's yeah at the 1 hour mark
3: and uh, our our acts are a little wonky in terms of timing um so the 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 scene where they are the The two leads are dancing together is our midpoint like that's our that's actually the midpoint of the movie Ooh, okay and then the end of act two is when uh they leave the school yeah technically okay. yeah. in the yeah. script we had to cut some scenes and stuff so the timing isn't perfect um but in terms of narrative structure that's uh the midpoint's the dancing point
1: mm. yeah. when they when they killed the crabs and everything, I remember like looking at it and it's like wait a second, we've got a lot of movie left.
2: Mm-hmm. Where's this going?
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, we have places, didn't it? Um, yeah, so at that point we 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 kind of move on to giant crabs, so you mentioned earlier that you know there's kind of like different points. I think you said alien gremlins and then Godzilla, you know, we're like your 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 inspirations. I can definitely see where the alien vibe comes in, um because we have crabs going straight for people's faces. I can see where the gremlins um. Motif kind of comes in because you gave them a great sound effect they don't just kind of like silently crawl along the yeah they, they have kind of like a gremlin sound when you yeah. go after people and um there was a scene that i really enjoyed where radu and his like friends are just kind of like chilling out max and relaxing all cool and then crabs and uh that was pretty great and then and radu uh,
3: actually the actor who plays radu does all the voices of the crabs throughout the movie. Right it's <laughs> That's nice. He good. is
1: multi-talented, oh. I am telling you why. Wow. But um yeah, I can I can get the gremlins vibe from there. And then we went to the kaiju side of things where we have not like larger crabs, larger mutated crab, but we have like full-on kaiju rocking mm. up. So that was pretty great. So I'm just curious, like structurally, why did you put the kaiju element in when you could have had like a queen crab or something like that so was there any particular reason that you wanted to go with that narrative like
3: oh the kaiju yeah yeah, yeah. um just they're cool right right? like i you know i i grew up doing um like stop motion animation um that's that's like that's how i got my start was just like trying Trying to make south park basically and I, I would in school instead of writing papers i would ask my teachers if i could make like stop motion animations instead and some of the time they would actually let me do it and so i i would that's how i kind of got started and so i love the, the just tactile working with materials when i make movies and um originally the kaiju fight at the end of the movie was supposed to be on a miniature set and at one point i wanted to do it with stop motion animation i wasn't exactly sure how how to do it? I was like of two minds. I was I was thinking maybe I want to do like Ray Harryhausen um, stop motion, and maybe I want to do uh, like 1950s Godzilla um, or Power Rangers or any of the guys in suits. And in the end, um, we I decided on the guys in suits element of it. But then I really still wanted to build the miniature set, and I really wanted to do a like destroy the town, uh, and then have the final fight uh but miniature sets are insanely expensive like yes they are <laughs> mind-blowingly expensive to do properly and then you get one or two takes uh and that's it and so we just we couldn't we just a we couldn't afford it and um yeah it just was that was never gonna happen so we I think that, sorry please oh yeah uh, no no go for it go ahead go ahead. I, I was just
0: gonna say i think you've you've opened kind of like an awesome question then i would like to explore that in the next part which is what would you have done had you had like in, incrementally more the budget because you've done so much with so little really and i'd love to kind of hear more about that but what i was going to say was we've, we have come to the end of our first part and we're getting into some real meat of this film so can we return in a moment crabby the- delicious crabs Hello and welcome back to episode 95
1: of Kaiju Curry House. We are interviewing Pierce Berelsheimer, the director and producer of CRABS! Which I can add an exclamation
0: point to words. You kind of you will, and you did.
1: <laughs> yeah. America! Uh, don't, <laughs> don't ask where that reference came from, kids. Anyway, um, we were talking about uh, the plot and the structure of the film CRABS with Pierce, but it's a really interesting conversation to how this movie got started and where it came from. We we're talking about it a little bit before the podcast, but from what you were telling me Pierce, you wanted to make a film ever since you were 10 and you just made it happen. Do you want to go over that with us for, you know, to inspire any amongst the crowd who may have the same ideas?
3: Yeah. Um so I I got I started making stop motion animations when I was a kid. And then uh, I, I um, made a bunch of shorts and stuff, and then got a job working for a producer. And the way that it, um, I learned how to work on a on a movie set basically was was uh, the movie had no money, and so I was like, I will work for basically just lodging and food if uh, if I can be in every meeting, and I'll do whatever you want. Like I'll I'll get coffee, I'll clean up the you know clean up, I'll do anything at all, as long as I can be in the meetings with the producers and with the director and with the actors. I just want to like watch and observe and absorb as much as I possibly can. Um, and so after about a week and a half of being on set for that film, they promoted me to co-producer, and then they hired me on another movie to uh, as a producer. And then after that, they're like, well, we know you want, to, you want to direct. Do you have a script? And I'm like, oh, I've got this other script. You know, I, we so we, we started going into pre-production and looking to raise money on this completely other movie. It um, was, was a possession movie, and it was kind of a cool idea, but it it felt like what I was trying to do with that one was I was trying to hit the things that were popular at the time in order to sort of launch my career. And I had a conversation with one of the producers, and he was like, if you don't love this movie, if this is not – movie you would be happy working on it for three, four, five years, you're gonna hate making movies. So don't do it. Like don't don't make a movie unless it's the movie you really deep down want to make. And I'm like, well, actually the movie I really want to make is this Crabs movie that I wrote when I was 19, uh, that I never planned to show anybody. Uh and so I gave them the script and they're like, we have no idea how to do this because we've never worked with big special effects or anything like that. But you know let's give it a shot let's try it so um my great grandfather uh had left me a little bit of money and the idea was that i would either use it for my education um and i was thinking about going to film school at the time or i would uh put it into a business some some entrepreneurial enterprise and um i never really liked school like i just i was never i always wanted to do my own thing i never really liked school anyway so i decided to put that money towards crabs and um it was sort of the seed financing we got and then i would go to everybody i knew to try to raise the rest of the money and we raised most of the budget enough to sort of go into production and then we got about halfway into production and needed to raise more money um Uh, and once we were, once we had the first unit shot, uh, then we partnered with a Canadian company in order to, um, help us do all of our post-production. Um, yeah, so it was, we shot the movie in 2015, uh, the A unit, and then the B unit, the green screen Kaiju stuff we shot in 2016, and then the drone footage we shot in 2017. So it took us like three years to shoot it. And then four and a half years to do all the post-production sound design, music, all that stuff. Um, But I agree wholeheartedly with the advice that I got, which is like, you have no idea how long your movie is going to take. And you might have to be the only person. Like, at points, I was the only person pushing the movie forward. Like, if I decided that I was going to throw my hands up and be like, this is taking too long, I'm done with this, or I hate the project, or I just can't finish it. It never would have gotten made so unless as a director as a writer um if you don't love your idea like totally completely love it and think it's amazing uh, then don't make that movie because you might get stuck as the only person sort of holding the bucket for it for a long 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 time sounds um, like a
1: marriage honestly
3: it is I you mean, have it's to work in a
1: marriage like don't get married to someone that you don't want to stay with you know yeah, yeah. I, have
3: a, I have a seven-year-old stepdaughter that is the same age as the movie
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you really, yeah <laughs> well done on sticking with it that is, yeah, is seven years that's a long time
0: yeah and probably a slightly blunt question but after yeah. everything the highs and lows of it do you feel like it was all worth it
3: well, it's interesting. Yes, it was all worth it um because it's the best possible film education I ever could have gotten. Like Great. it it
1: nothing beats a hands-on education.
3: Yeah, I mean I didn't know what I was doing when I when I set out to start this and now I understand how to put a movie together. Like a and and we did the, the whole movie cost about $500,000. Um but I understand how to do how to I mean every every little detail of this project like like the um, the middle monster design. So we've the three stages. We've got the little monsters. The voices of the little monsters were Chase, um, who the guy who plays Radu. The middle monsters. Um, we couldn't afford to have somebody design monster eff- sound effects, and so I had to learn how to edit monster sounds. And so I went and I you know watched a bunch of YouTube videos and went into the BBC's um, Natural History Sound Library and licensed like two hundred different animal sounds and then cut them together in order to make those monster effect sounds but now i know how to make monster effect sounds and that's (laughs) not something i knew how to do before or like um i I knew nothing about how to do special effects uh, and and like green screen and post production and tracking markers and doing matte paintings and i mean there's just there's an endless amount of, and now I'm working on distribution and six months ago, we first started getting our distribution letters in our distribution offers in. And, um, I learned about the distribution process and decided we're going to be self-distributing the movie in the U S and the UK based on what I learned about where the distribution world is now. And then now I'm working on marketing. So I just had a a conversation with a marketing team yesterday. And so Yes, it was definitely worth it in terms of getting an education. Um and I still like the movie. I mean, I've watched it, you know, 100,000 times, but because it is the movie I really wanted to make, I don't hate it. I don't and there's there's parts, there's always parts no matter how many times I've seen it that I really would love to change and I'd love to tweak and little things like like oh, there's not the push in there that we added in post in this one shot and nobody's ever going to know that, but I every time I watch it, I'm like you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So um, oh yeah, it definitely it was definitely worth it.
2: Yeah. I mean we've we've talked quite a lot about the little ones and then the big one at the end. We've only touched slightly on the like the middle size um creatures, which you said you made the sound effects for yourself. Well, you, you got from the files. What what two animals or three animals did you able to make that sound, by the way? A lot. Um there were
3: seals, lemurs, pigs, donkeys. Um I think those are the a bit, main ones. Bit of a mistake. The the seals were pretty heavy in there, which is funny because there's a line about killer seals, and the seal sound is actually what's in the what's in the movie. But
1: yeah, seals make a lot of odd sounds. To be fair, <laughs> yeah they do.
2: Yeah, it's good that up ups the ante and gives them something their height to kind of battle with, especially uh, Ragu with his ninja sword, because you know he he is a ninja yeah Uh, (laughs) and uh i just just love it when he goes into the um goes into the caravan doesn't he and one comes out the curtain it's like it's the jurassic park reference i love that love that Yeah, jurassic
3: park is like to me that movie is like the the gold star for what to shoot for when you're making a movie i just think that that's one of the best movies of all time and uh yeah i couldn't help rip it off
2: (laughs) So, because the film's what an hour twenty minutes, isn't it? I, I think off the top of my head, and you've got three different types of creature in it. Was there a lot more that you wanted to put in, but couldn't because of time and or budget? Yeah, there's a lot more. Um, we
3: shot for twenty two days, and uh, again, I didn't know what I was doing as a director. I, I, I had only ever shot movies where I'm the only person on on the crew, basically uh and so when i got to set and there's you know 60 crew members and everybody's building sets and doing this doing everything i like i i didn't know what i was doing and i i didn't know what to prioritize and it took me a good week to understand the flow and the structure of being on a big set as the director and what are the most important things and what are things that i shouldn't be paying attention to so um the learning curve was wildly steep and um because of that and because of, I mean, we had all sorts of, like everything that could have possibly gone wrong did go wrong. Um, so just a quick example, um, the main characters uh, live on this piece of property that's right by the river. And there's a, there's a barn there with, that's um, like an old ship building barn or ship repair barn. And right, they huh? live in the two trailers that are right next to the barn. Originally, none of that was in the script uh they lived in suburbia and he built the giant uh monster at the end out of train parts but we lost both of those locations like a week before filming found this new location and then all of the stuff that we found in the barn um were the pieces that we used to build the cockpit at the end of the movie just because they were already in the barn it was this really serendipitous like can't believe that it worked out kind of thing um but because we kept on losing locations and I didn't know what I was doing, uh, we had to condense a lot. And so a lot of the monster scenes, like the the prom scene and the bar scene, um, were we probably had two extra pages of each of those of of gags and and effects and stuff that we weren't able to shoot. But the one scene that I really wish we could have had in the movie that wasn't there is um we built three of the the middle-sized monster suits and there's only one shot in the whole movie that has all three of them and the reason we needed three of them was for the scene that was going to be the ripoff of uh the kitchen scene from jurassic park in the auditorium of the school where the the you know the, the stage is up front and all the seats are kind of like this the after prom after the hallway scene instead of going into the classroom they would go to the auditorium and they would be in between the seats, the rows of seats, the main characters would be in between the rows of seats and the uh, monsters would come in from all sides and they would stalk them through the rows of seats. And it was gonna be the, the biggest sort of horror scene in the film, um, but it was too big of a set piece and we just didn't have time for it. And we could only rent out the school for a certain number of days. Uh, and so it's just like, narratively, it was the only thing we could cut. Um, so that scene got cut. But there was a number like, of number of things like, that got cut.
1: The auditorium got used again in the credits. And I honestly yeah. I love that. You know, it's just like someone's gonna clean it all up.
3: That was a nightmare. <laughs> that was a nightmare to clean up. Yeah, the uh, the wrestling team had a match the next day and we had cleaned it up as best we could, but apparently the mats were still like sticking to the floor, so it was a nightmare to actually get them all up.
1: Okay. As a wrestler, I will say that those mats they just stick anyways because they (laughs) practice on them so wrestling mats like it's not your fault man
0: it's not your fault
3: (laughs) it was a little our fault they were really sticky (laughs) there was a lot of blood in that the gym at the end you
0: mentioned earlier about like that would have been the uh, the scene with the most amount of horror Mm -hmm. thinking about the tone of your film pierce how did you decide what type of tone to go for? Because I would kind of categorize Krabs um, as being, sorry, Krabs as being a horror comedy. Does that sound fair?
3: Oh yeah. I mean, I would call it a comedy horror because we would be yeah. put so much into the comedy and not Absolutely. enough of the horror. But to me, originally it was going to be the horror element we were going to try to play up. And that, that blend of horror and comedy is really hard to get right because you want it to be a comedy, but you also actually want it to be a, horror movie because and we I don't I think I failed at the horror element for a number of reasons. And it was a conscious decision to to give up that. Um and part of that was um that there's was, there was a number of reasons I ended up kind of giving up on the horror. Um part of it was that once I started seeing how the suits would move I realized we'd really have to mask them in order to have them be really scary because they're you know big rubber suits. And so to, in order to get that to be terrifying, you wouldn't be able to show very much of it. And I, A, I wanted to show it. The other part was that um, when we transition from Act 2 to Act 3 and they build the, you know, spoilers, but the characters build a, a, a mecha kaiju robot in the span of about six hours. And I knew that if I tried to sell you that, if I tried to sell an audience on that idea in any sort of logical framework, no one would be on board. No one would actually believe that they built this in six hours. And so when we when we filmed that scene, that was the moment where it was like, okay, we are now an absurdist movie. Like we are going to go full Tim and Eric and give up on logic and um because in the script originally we tried to logically do that there was a couple versions where we actually tried to like at one point there was a character that was going to be played by christopher lloyd where um he was going to be this ufo conspiracy theorist guy that worked at the school as a tech teacher as like a like a shop teacher and they would go to his workshop and he would actually have alien spacecrafts and all sorts of stuff that then would be used to build this giant robot and parts of the robot were already built and there was going to be aliens and anyway that got scratched and then we were going to use train parts and like have it try to try to logically be like oh philip's been working on this for a while and this is his end goal and it just happens to work and then it was like that's too convenient we're not going to do that so when we got to the building of it we literally had to wink and nod directly to the audience to be like this is ridiculous we we as filmmakers know this is ridiculous and we need you to know that we know it in order for you to accept what we're about to show you because if you think we're trying to be above you or like give you any information that's not like this is what this is uh no one's gonna be on board and so once we filmed that scene then we really knew okay we have to we have to full-on lean into the comedy aspects of this movie for it to sell for its work and um the other part of it was that uh once we started improvising so radu um was in the script like he had he had lines of dialogue but it was like two days in before we before i committed to you no know, radu is going to be 99% improvised and then once radu started improving, then all the rest of the actors i wanted to start improving, and so the movie sort of took on a life of its own where We knew what the scenes were going to be. We knew what you needed to accomplish in the scene, but it no longer was rigid to the script. It was a lot more flexible. And so giving up the control there and letting it be more playful uh, was one of the things that sort of led to it being more of a comedy movie than a horror movie.
0: It's interesting because one of our good friends, Alan Maxson, he's um, recently got into the filmmaking business. And when we had him on quite a while back, he said that, when you're working at a tight budget it's far cheaper to make a film that's stupid than scary and he was saying it in a slightly self-depreciating way but also in a very pragmatic way that like well, li- literally that that like when he's made some of his earlier films i i know that uh, paul thinks very fondly of christmas of cookie which is just objectively not a great movie it's a very bad movie and Alan will say that but it was also very cheap and it kind of created mm. that platform to then do something a bit more ambitious and then from that uh what was what was his short movie that he made patina like thank kind of what's it called patina? Patina. patina he made patina which was like actually quite frightening and it was six minutes long as opposed to like an hour long of kind of nonsense and silliness he then kind of you know larger budget shorter film but then the tone's very different and it was just funny kind of watching your film because i I'll be totally honest, I went into the film expecting more of horror than the comedy. And initially I kind of thought, ah, not too sure about this with all due respect. And I thought, oh, it's a dumb stoner comedy. And I kind of, then I I got it and I was on board. It's like, right, okay, I get it. I know what its target audience is. This film is self-aware. It's ridiculous. It knows it is. And then I was like, right, okay, I get it it took
3: me a little while well, I, to kind of suss that out. Yeah, totally. I mean, I knew – there was a moment on, like, day two when I had to abandon the original sort of tone that I was trying to set in my mind about it being 50-50 horror comedy. And because I knew we were going to fail if we tried that. Like, if we, if we, if we aimed at more horror, we would have failed. And I knew the level of horror that we could get. And once I sort of understood what we could achieve with what we had, and that's actually, that is the, that's like, if I could give advice to any person who wants to, any filmmaker, do the best with the tools that you have. Don't wish for tools you don't have like don't don't try to make something that you're not going to be able to make with tools you that aren't at your disposal so but try to make the best thing with the best with the tools that you currently have right do the best job you can with whatever you have in your basket of tools and if you wanted to make something else but you don't have the tools to make that you're not going to make it right make the thing you can make with the tools that you have and so realizing that the tools we had were to make this absurdist comedy we leaned completely into that and abandon the idea that we had at the beginning of production, like the scene, the the, the scene where the sheriff, where the deputy arrives uh, to go and check on the sheriff, and uh, finds the the porno tape in the VHS player. That was the second scene that we shot in the film, and his sort of being exhausted on the car and looking all like ragged, you know, torn up and then walking in and then having to uh it was during that scene so when we first filmed him outside with all the mood lighting and the bloody handprint we were leaning into the horror there and then once we got inside and we saw the creature coming out that was sort of the moment where it's like okay this is the type of movie we're going to be making now this is where we need to lean into uh, and we'll keep going from here and I think it was ultimately for the best. I mean, I think that the, the, the story concept alone doesn't really lead itself to horror. And so I think there was a, there's a bit of like the movie was telling us, the story was telling us like, this is the direction you need to go in order to achieve this. Because if we did take it too seriously, it wouldn't work. Like the premise itself is not a premise that would work if we took it any more seriously than we do. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, let's take our second break, and when we return, let's explore some more elements within the film and give our own personal recommendations for other horror comedies, horrors, or straight-up comedies. Thank you very much.
3: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. I'm Pierce Berelsheimer, the director of Crabs.
1: You didn't do it either. You <laughs> knew what?
0: Krabs! Yeah, read yeah, the exclamation right. mark. Punctuation yeah, has- is important, children uh i was thinking about parallels of other movies because like you were talking about how that line of the horror and the comedy is very tricky to walk and paul and joe i'm sure you can think of some similarities of other films but has anyone seen the film black sheep yes in new zealand
1: yes when
0: i was watching your film i was thinking in terms about the tone. that's what it reminded me of because like kind of ticks a lot of similar boxes because sheep are fairly innocuous they're not particularly frightening and the idea have of you sheep- ever seen their eyes oh, well Lord in this Alex. film they're quite frightening <laughs> but black sheep kind of it walks that tricky line of at times it's just utterly stupid mm-hmm. and at the same time it is a little bit freaky so it's just be <laughs> a bit bad
1: that's for sure yeah <laughs> felt <Sounds> good
0: um <laughs> paul what horror comedies can you think of that kind of that match up with this.
2: But um, the, the fun, one thing that comes to mind, which isn't monsters at all, is The Visit. Have you seen that? I don't
0: know The Visit, no. It's a
2: fantastic horror film, and the director shot it in, She shot two versions. He shot it as a comedy, and he shot it as a horror, and he spliced the two together. Oh, that's cool. With different scenes. so, so it does seem like harmless and fun in one scene, and then it suddenly cuts to the horror version, and it's terrifying. And it's Ooh. so brilliantly well done that it uh, I'm trying to think who did it now. I'm trying to think of the director, but uh, yeah, it's about some kids who go to stay with their grandparents, and things are mm-hmm. not what they're seeing. But it's um it's seemingly funny and then just takes a sinister turn. But it was mm-hmm. it was a great horror with comedy elements, I guess. I mean, otherwise I'm just gonna throw out tremors, as you know. So I wanted to say something different.
1: You had to say tremors at least once in the other. At least day. once, yeah. There there are appearances to keep up, Paul. But
2: it's just tremors, it's not crabs! Because I haven't said that yet, so.
1: That was good. I, that was good.
0: Thank you. That's That's the loudest of been, Paul. well done.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, there is a film that, uh, to a degree, I think, has a lot in common with this, and I've been mentioning this film quite a bit, but I have to give the shout out again. Tam, Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, Tammy and the T-Rex.
2: Oh, yeah, you've mentioned Tammy, that. Yeah. Tammy
1: and the T-Rex definitely has some parallel lines with Grabs. Because in some elements, it does have some horrific moments.
2: Really?
3: Yes, it so does. I, I have to see
2: this film. I really do. It's good. It's, really it's, it's do-
3: definitely worth watching. It is, is it a ride? its own beast. Is it wild? Oh yeah.
1: oh, yeah. You have to watch it after a few lemonades. Wink, wink, nod, nod. But, yeah. And with friends. It is perfect with friends. Like yeah. crabs. Crabs like you crumbs. watch. There we go. You yeah. watch with your mates. Like. this is a this is a film it's a beer and pizza movie Mm -hmm. or should i say lemonade and pizza movie Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um yeah you totally sit down with your friends Mm -hmm. and watch crabs because it's one of those films it's just it's fun it is going to be a fun film and uh yeah like i said like it it is there there are moments where crabs is definitely Mm -hmm. a horror film like the opening scene on the face and I think that it was actually like a minor stroke of genius, you know, for it to leave his face right as something else happens. And you know, the girlfriend has to think about, oh dear. And then you know comes up on her. Then you see her again later. Like it has horrific elements. But then at the same time it also has Radu in this film. So brilliant. Brilliant. It will it will definitely find its having fun venue. I mean there's
0: definitely that like there's there's a niche in that market isn't there because people do want monster movies that make them laugh that they can drink a beer to with their friends i think like because monster movies are relevant at the moment people are enjoying them but there's that possible like need for a slightly more kind of r rated more violent monster movie that you can go ah and then laugh at rather than say like a godzilla movie which is possibly a little bit tamer um but yeah, your movie manages to kind of have that harder element to it whilst being funny, which which I like. I didn't come away feeling dirty, like, oh god, that was hideous. You know, um, as and I have it, done with some films. And it doesn't like, take too itself crazy. too
1: seriously, like Sharktopus. Like Sharktopus took itself way too seriously for what it was. Yeah, that should have that should have been a horror comedy, not yep. a horror science fiction, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing. But yeah, Crabs is perfect in that respect. It, it it has its tone and it knows what it is. So I have to give definite kudos for that.
3: Thank you. Yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that we never took it too seriously because that was, that would, I've seen a couple movies that I had, I had very specifically. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shit on anybody else's movies, but there's a couple films that have come out recently, horror movies where, they do. They take them so they've got a ridiculous premise and they take themselves way too seriously and I was like that is what we have to avoid. That's mm-hmm. the one thing I want to avoid. I do not want a pretentious movie that should not be pretentious.
0: Yeah.
1: Can we call the Twilight films? for uh, I feel like that a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's going a far.
0: Another film that I appreciated recently there was the reboot of the Chucky franchise and it was uh, the most recent Child's Play movie and what I really enjoyed about it, I'm not like a huge Chucky fan. I, I've never really been bored about it, but it managed to kind of explore some of the kind of the controversial elements about Chucky of, you know, like, oh, childhood violence and kids watching things that are too violent makes them violent. And it kind of it tongue in cheek approached that. But then it also just went blatantly for the comedy. And at one point, the Chucky doll just gets a drone. And then just flies it through a crowd of people and the blades cut up, like all of the passers by. And it knows exactly what it's doing. It's just like, this is going to be mm-hmm. silly. And for that, I was able to have sink some beers, sorry, lemonades, Joe. And have you laugh seen, you off, seen which the is original great. Chucky? Um, I have not, no. Oh, wow. The original Chucky is a little bit more of a nuanced film, honestly. <laughs> Are you calling Chucky nuanced?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. if you watch the original okay there's some like supernatural like murdery detective vibes and it well
2: Well, it's completely different isn't it because in the remake i think the rope it's just a robot that's gone wrong whereas in the original it's it's, um it's it's um what is it a serial killer's spirits in the doll you know it's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. chucky got
1: progressively more wacky as time went on yeah i think Mm. that's the way to go because the original Chucky had, if, if you've ever seen it, like there was a series of short films and then one of them, it was called Trilogy of Terror. Oh, yeah. And there was kind of like a voodoo doll and yeah. it was chasing woman around her apartment. And the original Chucky has vibes very in keeping with that short film. And I think whilst it's not necessarily my cup of tea, I can respect it as a film because it took itself seriously enough, but at the same time, the serial killer's frustration that he was in the child's doll mm-hmm. was also a thing. And then like, you knew it was in the doll and the, like the serial killer was pretending to be the doll at some points. Mm. like it gave like a creepy vibe, but we're not here to necessarily talk about No,
0: We're going to talk about crabs. Um, P.S., what are your aspirations for the future in filmmaking?
3: Um, I've got a couple other projects I want to make. I just want to keep making movies. Uh, so Good. Good. whether that's, <laughs> Getting hired on other people's films or making my own Mm -hmm. i'm happy um my favorite thing in the whole world is just being on set working with actors and shooting Mm -hmm. stuff so whatever project that is i'm happy doing it really would it be Um, i i I have other i have crabs two ideas crabs three ideas like i could if if crabs does well i could definitely make more of these and all the actors are on board to do more so um i have radu spin-off ideas i want to there's a there's a (laughs) couple specifically radu movies i want to make
1: <laughs> radu um, night ninja <laughs>
3: yeah well I, I have this i have this ridiculous idea which is basically to do a spin-off of crabs where it follows radu from the moment he leaves the alleyway until the moment he shows up again and it's basically after hours it's it's it's, it's like a remake of after hours but with radu
0: this <laughs> so is not building. really any crabs yeah. in it
3: it's like a martin scorsese sort of film but featuring radu in this small town and it would sort of have like a, yeah, like a like after hours meets um, the Big Lebowski, but with Radu, and there's no crabs involved at all until he shows back up. Um, that's a ridiculous movie. But uh, I have this other film that I'm I'm working on with Chase, um, that is basically David Attenborough versus Steve Irwin. Um, Ooh, Chase I don't know who I don't David know who Carr-
1: I'd, I'd have to back Steve Irwin on
3: that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's. but I would do it in a, we're going to do it in a um, uh, mockumentary style, like best in show where the whole thing is a behind the scenes of this rivalry mm. um, between these, these two sort of, um, and we're not going to call them David Attenborough or Steve Irwin, but that's the gist is like the two different methods of communicating the importance of wildlife. One of them is the, I'm going to go grab it by the tail and the other one is like look at the majesty and beauty of nature and how amazing like little intricate details are and so it's these two characters that have to work on a project together and uh don't agree on the the mode of how to tell this nature documentary story um and then i have an action movie that i'd really like to make um that uh is more or less the northman but i haven't seen the northman yet and that's doing really well so uh I'm not sure I'm going to be <laughs> going to start pitching that movie, uh, but it's basically a revenge story that I, I think of as like The Raid in medieval times or John Wick in medieval times.
0: I love The Raid, oh. yeah,
3: yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: So speaking
1: of your actors, you were blessed with some really fun actors on this film. How did you find them?
3: Um, a casting agent. We had uh, I had never worked with a casting agent before, but one of our producers knew this guy Paul Ruddy in L.A. And he, you know, we gave a a general description of of the type of character we wanted, like what their personality is, if they're if they're goofy, if they're more serious, if we want like the old sheriff character, you know, um, and uh, and he sent a bunch of auditions, and some of the actors took a really long time, like uh, Bryce Durfee, who plays Hunter, we saw maybe 30 people for that role i mean we just we could not find somebody for the longest time until we found bryce and bryce was very obvious once we finally got him but there are a lot of people that auditioned for that role and we just couldn't it was like no that's not right that tone's not right um because his character we really wanted somebody that was like innocent but goofy but could also have that leading character the leading man sort of vibe as well and that's a that is a hard thing to find of, of every character that we found that was that was one of the hardest and radu was also incredibly difficult because um that accent that radu does i did not want to be from anywhere i didn't want him to represent any type of person that exists on the planet i wanted to create a character caricature of a caricature so it's radu, kind of like want- in
1: ghostbusters too it's just like when venkman asks where the hell are you from You wanted that accent, yeah. I
3: wanted somebody that's like, could never offend anybody because he doesn't exist. And the accent changes over the course of the movie and he's not, he doesn't exist anywhere. And like all of his fake language is made up and his, you know, he talks about his currency, it's a made up currency. And so a lot of people, but, but a lot of the auditions wanted to go with very specific accents. And so it took a while to find somebody that, wasn't doing sort of a put on caricature of a type of person. And yeah. so um, when, when chase auditioned, I mean, originally Roddy was supposed to be about 14 uh, and then chase auditioned, And we're like, we had to, we had to wrap our head around. Okay. Well, you know, maybe he's this amazing tennis star and they, you know, they imported him from his home country because they needed somebody great on their tennis team at the, at the local high school or, you know, because he looks significantly older than everybody else. Um, So that was a little challenging, but like Allie Jen, uh, who plays Maddie, was the first person we saw. Um, We just cast her immediately. Jessica was on my short list of actresses for that role, but then before even telling our casting director about it, Jessica just showed up at the audition and was like, oh, that's serendipitous. Okay, you're cast immediately. And then Dylan, we actually cast somebody else first. And, the other actor arrived on set and we shot a whole day with him. And then he went and broke his arm skateboarding that night. Uh, and so we had 24 hours to recast the role and Dylan, we found Dylan, Dylan read the script and we were like, uh, yeah, get on out here. Um, and I met him five minutes before we shot the first scene with him. And he was amazing. And, and like, I was really, one of the things I was concerned about was he's in a wheelchair for, you know, 90% of the film. And I wanted to be able to get that right. Like I wanted to make sure that we did that as authentically as we possibly could. Um, and so I'd, you know, I'd watch YouTube videos about, you know, different different people in different circumstances and the way that they looked in a wheelchair and the way they moved uh, so that I could give, you know, directorial notes to Dylan on uh, if I needed to. Turned out I didn't need to at all. He just has such control over his body that um i didn't have to give him one physical direction the entire time around set like he just that's all him he just it's pretty it on and, yeah
1: do you have any recommendations for uh young actors and actresses to stand out like during casting calls like what drew you to those particular actors like other than obvious need in some cases
3: um i mean i think the
1: did they just pass the vibe check
3: <laughs> I just passed the vibe check. I mean, no, the so the first thing is um none of them tried too hard. They all just were the character. Like they they part of it is this is gonna be discouraging. Um, but part of it is that the director has the character in their head already. So either you're that character or you're not that character. And unfortunately, it sort of comes down to that. Unless you are doing something so different that it's like Rod do like Chase was doing something so outside of the realm of what I was picturing that it was, oh, we have to pivot the movie because you're so different and great that you're bringing some of the table that I didn't even think of. And so we're going to we're going to change the type of movie to fit you into this because you're so good. Then the rest of the actors were really, I had, a, I had a feeling for the type of characters and the way that they would interact. And so I was looking for an actor that had that feeling there um, in the auditions. And sometimes it was immediately obvious, like like, uh, like Allie, where we didn't even need to see anybody else. It was just like, I put a description of this is the type of character I would like. The casting director said, I have somebody for you. Here is their audition. That is the character. Thank you very much. Let's move on. Um, or it was somebody like Bryce, where it's a very um, sort of nuanced type of character where, you know, I knew it was something that I would have to look through a bunch of people to be able to find. Cause we found people that were like obviously leading man, like without a doubt leading man, but they didn't have the goofiness. And it was like obviously goofy, but they couldn't do the leading man thing. So it was like, We needed somebody that fit that very specific sliver of type of character. And so no matter how great you were at being a leading man, that wasn't what we were looking for. And so um, keep auditioning. Obviously my advice would be just like endlessly audition because eventually your type will be the thing that somebody is looking for, for some story that somebody out there wants to tell. Um, And don't give up because You weren't like, I would say never get discouraged because you didn't get the role Hmm. because you're an individually unique type of person and you just might not be the very specific thing that that story was looking for. Right. And um, the other thing, the other piece of advice I would have is to uh, like, know your, know your role in terms of what the was on the page so every actor we worked with came to set knowing every line of dialogue flawlessly every single time never had to look at notes never had to re-memorize things never got stuck on a take every single time we would show up on set they would know what line we're doing what what scene they would have that memorized so we did no rehearsals on this thing and part of that is just because the actors were so professional and so good So if you're an actor, number one, most important thing in the whole world, because I've been on sets where actors don't do that and the crew and everybody ends up hating them. And it is the type of thing where all of those people will go and talk to everybody else that they know and say, so-and-so is a miserable actor to work with because they don't remember their lines. They don't care to remember their lines. They just want to do their own thing. Mm. They think that they you know are good enough that they don't have to remember their lines or whatever it just becomes this horrible situation on a set where we're waiting on one person to just get their job correct and that is their job so first bit of information first advice would be get that down learn how to do that never have to think about it again the next thing would be never get discouraged because you're not getting the role keep auditioning because eventually you will somebody will be looking for exactly you but it's like dating it's like if you date a bunch of people it's not really any you can you can date a bunch of people and it never be anybody else's fault that like it didn't work out because everybody's just looking for the thing they're looking for and if you're not it it's like not the end of the world it's like it's not a big deal it doesn't have to be a big deal that you weren't what somebody was looking for and i think casting is very much like dating like you have in your brain the things you're looking for, and if you want to, if you want to date a doctor, don't date a filmmaker, right? Like, yeah. you're not going to be happy dating the filmmaker if what you really want is dating a doctor. So, um, it's the same with casting, I think.
1: I recently oh. talked with a director, and yeah, one of the things you, that though. they said was, uh, "It's a lot like recipes," and the example that mm-hmm. they use, like, "I know how to put a pizza together. I love, you know, like this, that, and the other pizza." you know, with these ingredients, they're just like what you need. I might love pineapple, but pineapple might not be right for the pizza. So it, it
2: it was fun. It It was funny.
1: It it made total sense because Mm. you can have all the ingredients and pineapple can be right, you know, for like all sorts of other things, but for that pizza, no.
3: That's exactly, that's totally exactly right. Like if, if you're making a, a, uh pineapple agua fresca you want the pineapple you don't want the pepperoni right like but you might really want the pepperoni for the pizza so that is that i I, i'm going to steal that because that is a absolutely apt um Mm. analogy it is time
0: for us to wrap up so we will close with our personal recommendations um thinking on crabs i think it's very important listeners do check out the film um what rating is it in the US? Is it is it R? Uh,
3: we're not going to have a rating because we're self distributing it, but it's it's R. I would my personal thought is like
0: fifteen or older. Fifteen. 15 there, there you go. Okay, so just covering yeah. our backs, it's a fifteen or a, uh, older. Yep. Um. So how do you see it, there, Where do we, where do we find
1: Craps? How are you distributing it in the UK?
3: Um. I am going to be putting it on iTunes, net. Uh, not, not not Netflix. Uh, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo um it'll be uh it's called a tvod release so it'll be available to buy and rent on all of the major platforms and then sometime after that we may do a streaming deal um depending on how that does and then we'll definitely go to uh avod which is uh tubi and pluto and um some of the other like advertising on demand services but uh to start out it'll just be on itunes amazon google play stuff like that and sometime this summer i'm guessing mid to late july is when it'll be out
0: perfect so there you there you go folks do check out crabs it's coming out pretty soon in the uk paul if nothing else what would you recommend
2: if nothing else uh, i know we've been talking about what inspired some of the film and you talk about gremlins a lot and i think it's a film that's quite often overlooked but is very similar to gremlins and something that i was terrified of as a child would be chris's yeah i don't know if you've seen that
1: those crates man i'm telling you what they keep coming back
2: there's now five films and a tv series so it's a tv
1: series for critters
2: yep oh yeah yeah. (laughs) it's amazing how many legs that i mean it's yeah but i remember watching that as a kid because my brother's 10 years older so he would watch these these films and it was like a horror comedy but to me it was just pure horror these little creatures (laughs) so i was terrified (laughs) but great film yeah I love know, it are still alive. Are That's amazing. yeah, still going. There we go.
1: You works to wealth of information, Paul.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna recommend that you do check out Black Sheep. It's one of my favorite horror comedies. It's um yeah, it's it's great fun. It's set in New Zealand. Not many horror films are set in New Zealand and it's it's about killer Sheep. It's hilarious. Joe.
1: Well, I'm gonna say that when I watched Black Sheep, I did watch it with a Kiwi. And the whole time he was just like, oh my God. <laughs> it's just like head and hands, like, oh my God. <laughs> it was brilliant. If you can find a Kiwi to wash it with you, they are quite a rare breed, all things <laughs> considered, but do it. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and give crabs a shout, get a couple of friends together, order that pizza, get that lemonade, and have a fun night. Additionally, I'm going to recommend a book as i often do you do but paul but paul can back me up on this one if you like the arthropod horror which i guess horseshoe crabs aren't actually arthropods but uh anyways going forward are they i can't remember but uh check out fragment by warren fay which uh yeah it is it is a great book we've had warren on the podcast it has A sequel and it's really great for a variety of reasons um the other film that i'm going to give a shout out to is uh another independent film it's called the howl from beyond the fog um daisuke sato um released it uh it would have been last year now
0: two years ago now two Two years two years ago wow time
1: flies but it's still a great art picture it's lovely for a variety of reasons and it's widely available now, which is the great bit. So check out those three things that uh, I recommended. Anyways, that's us for this evening's recording in the UK. And as always, we'd like to sign up by thanking you, our lovely listeners, and keep it
2: kaiju. <laughs>